Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Good evening, Rush Nation. It's another Thursday. It's another flagship show. Uh, Stocks isn't here, but it's okay. You don't have to listen to my whiny voice for the next hour alone. I do have a wonderful guest with me. And who else? Returning guest. I don't know how many times you've been on now, Joe. Four, five times. I don't know. You're basically like part of the furniture anyway. So owner and managing editor of Fantasy Pros, uh, recently crowned FSGA Radio Show of the Year. You're fighting for Sirius XFM, uh, which is only in the US. You can't get it here, which is annoying. Uh, fantasy game day show and then fantasy feast. Seriously, you can't get the, you can't get serious in the UK. 
nope, I've been speaking to the folks there for about three years saying, get it over here. It can't, like, I have to hook you the VPN to make it work. Um, yeah. make it work. But it's Joe Dolan, Newcastle United fan. I forgot to put that in the intro as well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well, Murph. Um, just getting over, I, I think, a touch of COVID. Um, I want to, I do want to say, um, it, it, that wasn't recently. I, I mean, it depends on what you, you think of recently. We were the, Matt Camp and I, um, uh, were the 2019 winners of the FSGA um, uh, uh, radio show of the year. I don't even know if they do that award anymore. Um, they FSGA has has switched to more of like a kind of a catch-all, kind of like a business awards, mm. you know, like catch-all content. And I think the FSWA uh, does the, the the like the radio show of the year, which we Paul Kelly and who's now my co-host, we we are not nominated for, but I did get popped for a. Uh, for an uh, ongoing article series nomination this year at the FSWA, which I'm which I'm excited about. But this is not for me to pat myself on the back, Murph. This is uh this no, is your show. What's going on, man? <laughs> to me to pat you on the back. Um no, it's just so good, so good to have you. Um it's been a while since we've spoken. Um the fortunes in Newcastle United are still you know storming high. Uh McLaren are good in F1, which is your F1 team. So it's like um, I I'm a, I think I'm an, a, a team agnostic with F1 at I this point. Yeah, well, you Lando. know, I thought I thought McLaren did my boy Danny Rick a little dirty. Although I think they probably upgraded uh, in the long run. Christian Horner is is still an absolute knob, uh, Murph. Yeah. If that, uh, uh, but Danny Rick I think is angling to take Checo Perez's seat next year. I think that's what he wants to do. Um, uh, but it, it, an interesting grid. Like, there's no driver replacements on the grid this year. No, there is. I mean, which is how uncommon is that? I mean, I'm a. Never. I, I, never I'll never. Happens. I'll never say that I'm anything more than a drive to survive. Uh, uh, F1 guy. Um, but like, like I'm seriously into it now, and I've actually gotten into kind of like other motorsport because of it. Just like my my one buddy. Um, I I hazard to guess in the UK, you do not give a flying crap about uh American stock car auto racing. Um, NASCAR. No, so. Yeah, not as much. Yeah. Um, I've been to NASCAR so several. Oh, times. really? Oh, you lived in Florida for a while. That's yeah. kind of yeah. I've never been to a NASCAR race, and like I'm still much more of an F1 fan. But my buddy is an absolute lunatic when it comes to to NASCAR. He he's literally been watching every race from the 1989 Cup Series, uh, uh, See, which is love. And he's and he's just like texting us, and I'm like. <laughs> he's like look at this rack how did davy get out of it and i'm like i don't know man like but the, yeah we all we all have our things but uh it's a um, fun thing to go to so i've been to oh two, i'm sure it is i've been to two daytona 500s i've been to the pepsi 600 at daytona um which is the night race yeah and that is fun like because that is just mad and like it's a good sport to mm. go and view telly watching's a little hard <laughs> Yeah, um, F1 is just a better television product, in my opinion. Yeah, um, it is. And I still don't understand the ins and outs of, like, you know, why is this good? Why is that bad? And all that stuff. Um, I, I'm Look, I live in South Carolina right now. I am a stone's throw from, like, six NASCAR tracks. You know, Charlotte, Atlanta, uh, Bristol, which is a yeah. short track, um, a, a Darlington, um, mm -hmm. but I've never been, and, and I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but like, you know, I've started to, to, to dabble a little bit. I think it's hysterical. They actually just put out, um, Netflix is, is drive to survivifying basically every sport in <laughs> yeah. the world. 
Um, <laughs> like they did, they did a golf show, yeah. uh, which, which is, is good, be, which was very good, especially now because they have all the the live stuff. Um, they did a tennis one, um, which is another highly individualized sport, you know. Um, and now there's a, a NASCAR one that they just put out, you know. And there, there's, you know, what these sports you need to have characters right and i think that's what um they've done a good job of like in these individual sports and you know like I, one of the things like i never grew up liking auto racing or nascar or anything like that and one of my my things was always how do you pick a favorite driver like it's a car and they're you know like you know, you have to you have to understand the personalities and all that stuff so yeah you um, do and the driver personality is so so important especially in in motorsport especially f1 like it's huge um like i just found i just don't like the robotic like cookie cutter personalities i always like the maverick well i love max verstappen i get that people don't like him i yeah. get that he's an obstinate human being i totally understand that sociopath is he a sociopath? I don't think he is. I don't think I, he's that he's far up his own backside. I think it's just a case of I just don't I just think he tells people what he thinks. I think that's the bottom line. I think at the end of the day, he says it's like when they did the Vegas track um and they mm. raced in Vegas. And he's like, This is crap. <laughs> it was. It was crap. It was a crap spectacle. You had people racing at two in the morning. It just didn't work. It, didn't it was work. an American race that I could not watch. <laughs> like, like, like seriously, I couldn't watch it. Like I'm, I Why? was in bed. I'm not staying up to watch yeah. that. You know, um, I heard the race was actually halfway decent. Like it was okay, but it, I mean, Max, I mean, just it, it almost everything. didn't happen because the manhole covers. were. Of course. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, like F1, they did a good job with drive to survive because like it, the drivers are very hard to relate to. Almost all of them are incredibly rich kids. Um, yeah. who, you know, basically have had smoke blown up their asses for since, I mean, literally some of them have been carting since they could walk, you know? So yeah. uh, like, so it's hard to find somebody who's like really likable in that, which is why I think like Daniel Ricardo kind of mm. it, like, I have to imagine Daniel Ricardo is the most popular F1 driver in America only because like, you know, he has a personality and like, yeah, probably, you know, he's, he's a little, he, he's he's kind of american you know he's brash and and he's he's got a sense of humor and he's loud and and all that stuff and uh, not to say that uh that that uh you brits are not but you know i think danny rick and i don't know if danny rick and lewis hamilton are whatsapping each other constantly you know i don't like, think uh, lewis hamilton's whatsapping anyone in f1 yeah. really to be honest especially <laughs> well, now especially now he's going to ferrari next year he's definitely he sort of had to uh backpedal a little bit on i'm more of a lewis guy than max guy um oh, no. my my wife my wife just adores lewis you know she's an academic type you know and like lewis is very much uh you know he's a i mean for for my uh my wife uh one of her students uh called her, her their woke overlord like <sighs> and, and like you know my wife is not woke like you know like she's not but like you know she teaches in the south so um you know uh, she's an academic but um but lewis lewis has a lot of shares a lot of uh charitable sensibilities i would think with uh um but and he's also very handsome i think that helps you know like uh, he's a good and he's a knight of the realm he's sir lewis hamilton yeah so when are you getting knighted murph 
I don't know. Probably got lost in the mail or something. I don't know. <laughs> I wait. I wait for the next king to arrive. I got. No, that m- might not be. Uh, might not <laughs> be might too not long be too there. We'll <laughs> so leave it. like, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, no, well, believe me. I'm. Hey, hey. I'm on. I'm over. I got nothing to do with that. I got nothing to do with that. I'm just a neutral observer. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, so when everything happened with the Queen, I had family over from Florida. Um, so they came over um, and then they were like, oh, so the prime minister's resigned and you're getting a new prime minister. That's a cool thing to witness. And then like two days later, the Queen died. And they're like, oh, my God, we were here for that. Um, and then like each town in England had like their own like personal respects thing. So we took them to that and they witnessed so much of that, which they wouldn't have probably seen. So, um, you yeah, know, it was like, weird timing for them to be here and see all of like history um happen because so many of us have never seen the changing of a monarch before so that was a, a bizarre experience i mean when was um, when did elizabeth rise to the throne like the 50s yeah early 50s yeah wow so i mean that's like well, my my mom i don't like my mom does, my mom remembers the kennedy assassination and she doesn't remember elizabeth ascending yeah. to the throne so like that's pretty wild yeah exactly that's what i mean it's just just crazy times but um one thing that i think people will remember for a long time uh from now is this chief's dynasty that is being built uh you had to get me off my tangent there (laughs) oh no we've got plenty of tangents to get on to but we'll talk about the chiefs because they they do deserve some plaudits after uh bringing home Super Bowl 58 um in what was an entertaining yet low scoring Super Bowl um, what were your sort of initial thoughts? Did it go the way that you kind of expected it to go? I, I got to be honest. In, in in ways, yes, and in ways, no. Um, I actually thought, based on the way that Brock Purdy played in the first two rounds of the playoffs, I thought that the amount of pressure that Steve Spagnolo got on him, which he did, mm. um was going to lead to turnovers. I, and, you know, uh, like in, in this industry, we give out bets. I, like I'm not a huge betting guy and I'm going to tell you why it's because I live in a state where betting is not legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, obviously there's offshore stuff and, you know, one of the things that a lot of pe- people do in the industry, and I think you need to do in the industry, um, and especially our guy, Tom Brawley, you know, um, who does, who's our betting lead at fantasy points, um, is, you don't want to give out a bet if you're not going to make that bet yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't tell somebody to put their money on something if you wouldn't or or aren't going to put your money on the same thing. So Tom, like I, I I gave out a prop bet of Brock Purdy throwing multiple interceptions. It was plus four fifty, And I said, look, I can't bet this because it's in a legal, it's in an, an onshore sports book and I don't have access to that. But it was one that I liked because, you know, we at, at Fantasy Points Data, we had charted Purdy with five turnover-worthy throws in the first two rounds of the playoffs, or at least his first two rounds of the playoffs, and just one interception. Um, he he led the, the league in the postseason in turnover-worthy throw rate and had just one interception. And then they got the pressure on Purdy in the, in the Super Bowl. You know, Chris Jones was unblockable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had... Spagnolo, I think Trent McDuffie had a couple of great corner blitzes. Yeah. And Purdy, in general, I thought took decent care of the football. Like, I actually thought, even though the numbers weren't there and the game-winning drive and all that stuff that, you know, that 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 some 49er fans are telling you that this guy's the next Joe Montana because yeah, of that. two you know, game-winning drives in the game they didn't win, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like, I actually think he... 
the irony is I thought he played the best he played in the playoffs in the yeah. Super Bowl. I don't think he was great. Um, I think he was, I think he was, I think he was solid. I don't think he was great by any stretch, but I don't think he played well at all in the first two rounds. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I co-host with Ross Tucker who also brings Greg Cosell on the podcast. And I think his, his, his assessment was the same, you know, like he had a bad third quarter against the chiefs, but was otherwise pretty good. And in the first, in the first two games, it was like, he was bad for the first three quarters and then had a pretty good fourth quarter to kind of, um, so in, in, in that regard, I thought the game went the way I expected, except I didn't think Purdy put the ball in harm's way the way I thought he was going to. Nice. And I think that leads to a real, like the Brock Purdy discourse is not going to, first and foremost, he's successful. Okay. He's, he made the Super Bowl as a seventh round pick in his second year in the NFL. Okay. Anybody would any anybody who's the number one overall pick Just would dream of that. making the Super Bowl in their second year. Now, of course, if you're the number one overall pick, there's the assumption that the team around you was terrible when you were drafted. You know, ask Bryce Young about that. Ask Trevor Lawrence about that mm. after their rookie seasons. But um, you can't argue that he's successful. But like, I feel like the Super Bowl and the way that it went down is going to allow us to be or hopefully allow us to be non-hyperbolic about Brock Purdy. Yeah. Like, he was he was probably good enough for them to win the game, but within the context of how they played that game. You know, Steve Wilkes, who just got fired, held Patrick Mahomes to 16 points in basically four five full quarters of football and then gave up the touchdown basically at the end of the fifth quarter. Um yeah, and, and let's not forget that yeah. the touchdown they scored in regulation was a special teams mistake. Well, it wasn't a mistake. It was, it was a 13-yard drive. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly one play, 13-yard drive. Like, you can't put that on the DC. Um, so, you know, you, you have to look at it in isolation. I have my own thoughts about Steve Wicks, which I'll get on to in a minute. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think with Purdy, I the thing I saw from this game is I'm just not sure – and like this is crazy, but I'm just not sure that Carl Shanahan is willing to gamble all the marbles. He talks a great game. He's great when there's no real pressure on the line. But we've seen it in multiple Super Bowls now with Carl Shanahan that it just it just doesn't seem to be able to get it done. The play calling goes very negative. It's very safe. And but then at the same point. He's not giving his quarterback the best opportunities to win. George Kittle was the quietest he's been in months in yeah. the Super Bowl. That's one one good play, and that's it. You know, you've got Debo Samuel, who I get is banged up. You've got Brandon Ayuk, who was pretty quiet. You know, it was Juwan Jennings was really the only guy on offense. Yeah, he was phenomenal. But they've got such a deep supporting cast there. And they're just, you know, for me, the way I talked about this game beforehand was I see a lot of this stuff going between the twenties and between the lines. So I saw this being a lot of stuff over the middle. You're not going to beat the chiefs out wide. They've got the best pass coverage in the, in the NFL. They're allowing the least points to wide receivers in the NFL. So, you know, you're not going to beat them too often with the deep ball. You're not going to beat them in coverage. So you need to just get gradual yardage, gradual yardage, and then use Christian McCaffrey as a battering ram. Once you're in the red zone, to get you over the line. There was very little George Kittle. It was like, okay, so plan A, we'll go to Christian McCaffrey. Plan B, we'll try and stick it to Juwan Jennings. And that was kind of it. And it was yeah. like, okay, 
but where's George Kittle? Where is bringing in additional blockers? Where's bringing in pass rush or, or passes, uh, attackers underneath that you can just leverage to dump off? That's what the Chiefs did really well. They saw the blitz coming. They had Travis Kelsey underneath. They had multiple players. Noah Gray was underneath for a big play. You know, that's how they, you know, they got going was they saw the blitz, they saw the game changing, and they adapted. The 49ers just said, we've got a game plan. We're going to stick to it, win or lose. And you just can't do that in this environment of the NFL. And they just didn't deal with Spagnola. He just, he outcoached them again, (laughs) as he did four years ago, as he, as Steve Spagnola continues to do. He's probably, he's, he's easily been the best coordinator in the NFL this season by a country yeah. mile because the Chiefs have been poor. The Chiefs have been poor for months, and he just kept getting them out of a hole. And also, um, let's keep in <clears> mind, like, I was talking about this with Brian Drake. You know Drake. Uh, yeah. Guy. Um, I was talking about him with this. Uh, he was at the Super Bowl, so we had a little chat on our podcast. Um, And I was just talking about this. as like, how many fan bases actually like their defensive coordinator? You know, think about it. Like, like every team complains about their defensive coordinator. Oh my God. Oh yeah. He has the number one defense in the league, but when it's third and 10, they play soft and it feels like everybody's got that same complaint, but uh, chiefs fans certainly don't have that complaint. Um, you know, the, the thing about the, the, the chiefs that, that stands out, um, to me, obviously I, I, I grew up an Eagles fan. Um, and I was Andy Reid. I was, Bit 13 for Andy Reid's first season as the Eagles head coach in 1999. And then Andy, of course, was the head coach for 14 years, including my time when I became a professional. Um, and I worked in that building with the Philadelphia Eagles. Andy was the head coach at then. And I got to witness, you know, a lot of Andy's, obviously we know what his upsides are, but his downsides as a coach, you know, game managing. And I look at the fact that there was that series in the fourth quarter where like they blew a timeout on a fourth and one and punted the ball anyway. And then like, you're like, man, there was that series at the end of the game where I'm like, man, they really could use that extra time out as they're trying to drive, you know, to get this game to overtime and, mm-hmm. and, and, or win the game and what, and whatnot. And I, and I sat down and I thought to myself, Andy Reid in Philadelphia obviously had, he had an excellent quarterback with nobody would say Donovan McNabb was not a great NFL quarterback. No. Or or good NFL quarterback, depending on how you wanted to use the term. He was then good he, enough to win Super Bowls. Yeah. I wouldn't put him in an elite category, but you look at some of the quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls, you would definitely say he's for in the sure, category of that. Sure. He was good enough to win one. And but I, I I go back and I watch, look at the game, the first game the Chiefs played against the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Buccaneers blew him out, so it didn't, you know, they had Mahomes and the Bucs smoked him anyway. The Bucs defense was amazing in that game. Then you have the the Eagles game and then the second 49ers game. And I'm just thinking to myself, look at some of the coaching decisions that Andy Reid made or some of the and I'm I'm just like trying to mentally put myself in the fact that what if Donovan McNabb was their quarterback in those three games that they've won? How many of them do they win? One, maybe. Maybe. And like, you know, they're you can make an argument. First and foremost, they definitely don't win this one if Donovan McNabb's their quarterback. 100%. They, they won this game because the defense was great and Mahomes was great on in the second half of the game. That's why they won that game. The Eagles one is difficult to me because they the Eagles put up 35 points in that game. Okay. The mm-hmm. Eagles, the Eagles certain and Eagle fans are apoplectic that 49ers fired Steve Wilkes because the Eagles fans are like, man, we win by three scores if we get that defensive performance last year. 
Um, but the Eagles one's interesting to me because the Eagles defense had absolutely no resistance whatsoever. Like of the Mahomes' three Super Bowl MVPs, the one against the Eagles was to me by far the least impressive because the Eagles didn't rush him at all. You know, he made a couple of plays with his legs um yeah. on, on that bum ankle, which is but like of that, I'm like, man, they didn't pressure him. You know, guys were wide open. They didn't turn the ball over. Like, maybe McNabb is able to do the same thing. But then that that first one against the 49ers, where they trailed by two scores in the fourth quarter. You know, Garoppolo outplayed Mahomes for three quarters and then completely flipped on its head. I'm not sure. If you just pop Donovan McNabb on those Chiefs teams, and this isn't, obviously this is an argument that we'll never have an answer to. No. I'm, I'm not you. sure they win one of those games. No. And that I, just shows the greatness of Mahomes. The only one I think they're competitive in is probably the Eagles one, but they score that many points. I definitely don't think they win this one, as you say. Mahomes put in a, a the way that he changed and adjusted in the game was significant in them winning this game. Um, and that was the key. It, you looked at and, and the thing is, I, I agree with you on the Andy, Andy uh, Reid play call. Here's a fun fact for you. So the Chiefs have played in four of the last five Super Bowls, winning three. They've been outscored in those four Super Bowls, 108 to 104. Wow. Like, it, it, and yeah, okay, they got blown out in one pretty bad. And, and there's excuses yeah. and there's a lot of things that will be talked about. And there was a disruption to the preparation with Andy Reid's coach getting arrested and all of that stuff, right? I get it. Um, or son uh, getting arrested, etc. Yeah. I get it, but the bottom line is is what people just seem to do is they seem to play into Patrick Mahomes' hand. In that fourth quarter, you've got Tony Romo on the coverage saying, don't rush him, he knows what he's doing. Don't rush him, he's going to dump the ball off. Don't rush him, and they just, you know, it was the same thing. So I'm all for the Steve Wilkes firing. Now, listen, don't get me wrong, the timing very scapegoaty like it's very much like hey it's not my fault it's that guy's fault but one steve wilkes is is not that great of a defensive quarter this guy's been fired every single year for the last like five or six years from a job like there's a trend here the 49ers got stuck ultimately they got the panthers stuck. probably should have kept them quite frankly well <laughs> you I know they might have ended up in good good hands with Dave Canales, but you know you know what I'm saying. I mean, I, that's a different story. I think that's a wild. I think that's such a a left field hiring. Like, I don't think Dave Canales is that great. I think he's all right, but I think he's that great. I'm sure he interviews extremely well. He must do. Well, it helps that your GM is a good buddy of yours mm -hmm. that you've known for nine years at Seattle. Hey, for that sure. always is going to go a long way. Um, I I just think with Steve Wilkes is. You know, you got to remember, he got fired from being the coordinator, at the, uh, the head coach of the Cardinals. That was rough. I mean, they were terrible. Then he goes to the Browns, he gets fired. Then he goes to, I think he has a year off. So he didn't get fired after getting a year off. But then he went to college. Uh, I can't remember where he went. But he had a year in college. Then he went to Carolina, got fired. Well, no, he got promoted, then fired. <laughs> <laughs> and then now he got this job and was fired. And I think the difference was the Chiefs, um, the 49ers have struggled because they had Robert Salah for a long time. Then they had uh, D'Amico Ryans. So you lose two of your defensive coordinators to their coaching job. 
and they've both yeah. been brilliant at their jobs. Like Robert Sala was a, an amazing DC. He's had some struggles in the New York, but oh well, yeah, because he doesn't he doesn't run that franchise yeah, exactly. And that's Aaron that, Rodgers does. I don't think you can put that on him. D'Amico Ryan surely showed he's a, he's an excellent coach with what he did this year with the Texans. Like uh, unbelievable job. So you're sitting there and you think, okay, they obviously don't have anyone internal. They're struggling with who they're going to get. The Texans appointed quite late as well, so they missed out on that cycle. I think Steve Wilkes was just a panic hire. I don't think it worked. I don't think at any point, like, that D is uh, a collection of incredible talent, but I'm not sure that D has played brilliantly as a unit. Um, and I definitely don't think... You can hear comments after the game from Joey Bosa saying they didn't feel they were prepared for Patrick Mahomes. That tells me everything I need. That one yeah. statement tells me everything I need to know that Steve Wilkes didn't have. And you could tell Steve Wilkes did not adapt his game plan. Steve Spagnola did. This was the difference. That was where that game was won and lost. Steve Spagnola knew exactly how to get to Brock Purdy, how to put that pressure on, how to keep consistent pressure on, how to shut that offense down. And that's what he did. He shut that offense down. I do, and Shanahan and Co didn't react. And then on the other side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes did. He knew how to ad lib. He knew how to make adjustments. He saw that blitz. He saw the blitz after blitz after. He saw it coming a mile off. You know, with the with the Chiefs, what we've learned this season is if you're going to beat them, you have to beat them early. You have to get up three scores, and you have to just manage the game. Mm -hmm. And they never and and in that first half they should have been up more than seven. They should have been up two scores minimum, and they didn't make it count. And if you leave the Chiefs around long enough, this season they will beat you. And that's and what has happened to every team this season that they've beaten. They haven't been good. The Chiefs. This is the funny thing is they haven't been great. They just are winners. They know how to get it done. If you leave them alive long enough, they will beat you. And that's where the Buccaneers was different. In that one Super Bowl, they literally put the throttle on, they scored early, then they scored again, and they just maintained pressure, maintained pressure. And before you knew it, Mahomes is down 20, and he's got nowhere to go. Yeah, And that's how you beat them, because then he gets desperate. Then he has to make the outlandish throws. Then he has to try and win the game on his own, because he feels he's got nothing to lose. And that, in its own right, makes it impossible for them to win. That's how you beat the Chiefs, but I don't know why there isn't this. I don't know why people are struggling to put that game plan together. <laughs> I guess that's the thing that I'd scratch my head at. I think Dan Campbell and the Lions would have won that game. I genuinely believe that. If they'd overcome the 49ers, if they'd not choked in the way that they choked, yeah. I actually think they could have won that Super Bowl. And that, that's what makes it. Relentless. That's what makes it hard for Lion fans, man, because yeah. like, you know, even ascending to the Super Bowl would have been great for them. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a game. I think the first half was boring. Um yeah. It was not a great display of football. You know, you can always say it was a good defensive game and and probably was. Like I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't Patriots Rams level of boring, you know. It was uh See, I quite like that game from a defensive when you like the defensive side of the ball and you see amazing defensive play. I, I but okay. I thought this game was more that though. I thought this was more this was more like exciting good defense, you know, Bosa and 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 Chris Jones and Trent McDuffie. Like I I to me I thought this game stood out more in that regard. Um 
But also, it felt like both offenses at least had the threat of scoring. Like mm. in that Rams Patriots game, it was like neither team was like uh, I didn't think either team had a threat to score. You know, like yeah. so that's why that's why I thought this game was better. But um, yeah, it's just hard to get back, man. And you know, now you, you have the Purdy conversation, and now he's one year away from getting paid. You know, you don't have the that's the thing. It's like you know the Eagles had Jalen Hurts as a second rounder, and obviously Purdy's a seventh rounder. You don't have that extra year to decide. You know, like, are we going to give them the fifth year option or, uh, you know, it's hard to keep these like really, really awesome rosters together. And that's why Mahomes is so special, because I'm not sure. I I mean, actually, no, I know. Like, if you pop any other quarterback on that roster, that team's not winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, you look at it. You man. can't say the same about San Francisco. Even the most militant Brock Purdy supporter cannot say the same about San Francisco. Oh, if you put any other quarterback on that roster, like, I don't know. I feel like I could put 15 quarterbacks on that roster who would have at least done a reason. And that's not to knock on Purdy. It's just showing where the true difference in this game was, was the fact that one team had Patrick Mahomes and the other team didn't. I, I get that. I think that's a little harsh on Purdy, only because I don't think Purdy was given the opportunity to succeed. I put this one on Shanahan more than I do on Purdy. Because I look at the... Oh, no, no, for sure. Yeah. No, no doubt. But, like, you know, he missed throws in the third quarter. I thought he handled himself generally well. But I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Like, let's take another... uh, Let's take Dak Prescott, okay? Yeah. I mean, Dak Prescott probably has San Francisco in, like, the same position in that game, right? Doesn't he? If not better. Kirk Cousins, who who we know long has been the apple of Kyle Shanahan's eye. Um. And, and again, this is not to knock Brock Purdy. It's just to highlight how exceptional Mahomes is. Because yeah. he, as much as I love Josh Allen, and I think if you take Josh Allen on his best day, which I think even Bill's supporters would say comes a little too inconsistently, I think if you take Josh Allen on his best day, you can easily make the case he's the best player in football. Like in the way that he can take over a game. But like, he's just not as inevitable as Patrick Mahomes is. And that's why I don't think any other quarterback in the league wins the Super Bowl. I don't think any other quarterback in the league gets to the Super Bowl with that roster. Not on that roster. No, I I agree with you. Um, But then I also think that I caveat that and say that Steve Spagnola is the other reason. I think if you don't have both of those people, that team probably doesn't even make the playoffs. I think Spagnola literally coached the season of his life. I genuinely believe, like, if you were to say to me, best Hall of Fame season from a coordinator, that might be it. I'm struggling to think of a season that was more perfect from an individual coordinator play. Because they should have lost so many games. They should have lost so many games. And yes, Mahomes does make winnable. He, he turns losing situations into winning. But the way, like, that AFC Championship game, the way they nullified the Ravens, that might be one of the great. Yeah, moments. there was, there was. You talk about. I talked about the the Rams and the Patriots. You know, yeah. it felt like they were not a threat to score. How about the Ravens? Like in the second half of that game, that was wild. I mean, that game was was mad. I mean, like you don't see many coaching plans executed that well. Um, yeah, we talked about Todd Bowles in the Super Bowl uh, with the Buccaneers. That's definitely one. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can't even talk about the Bucks when they won it the first time round because, yeah, they scored four touchdowns as a defensive unit, but they did also give up 24 points. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's just an interesting dynamic. But I think both of those guys, I think Steve Spagnuolo, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is, it was interesting. Someone asked that, like, the question to Andy Reid, like, how special is this one? I think this one's special because he probably had the least amount to do with it in terms of the design for victory. Because the play calling, yeah. as you say, was questionable. He got, you know, it, it's more, team. it's more the, it's more the game management than the yeah. play calling. Andy's a great play caller, you know, like, um, and even in recent years, like he's actually committed to Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, of course, the Eagle fan comp complaint and occasionally was valid when they had was, oh my God, run the ball every now and again. I actually think he does that with Pacheco. It maybe yeah, he does. He at did this it. Point. He did it on Sunday. Like, uh, yeah. he, he definitely they did run the ball. Pacheco looked good. Um, it definitely adds a dimension to that offense, which is which is useful and it's yeah, it's fascinating. I'm fascinated to see what the Chiefs do next year. I'm fascinated to see what they do in the offseason to try and work around some of these deals. Um, but yeah, the 49ers is an interesting one. Like the window is going to shut on them very, very soon because yeah, you mentioned Purdy's got paid, but McCaffrey he's not got long left with all the injuries yeah. and. I, I mean, I'm hoping he has he has time left, man. Like because, like, you know, in this day and age, the the whole running back. So, which which, by the way, I feel like that discourse kind of petered out a little bit this year. Maybe it was replaced with the how much does Brock Purdy matter discourse. Um, <laughs> but like, I watched that NFC Championship game um, between McCaffrey, you know, and and Jameer Gibbs on the Detroit side, and I'm just like, man. Tell me, look at two players who matter, right? Two yeah. players who are making plays that not any Joe Schmo off the street is going to make. And, you know, and you also look at the capital that was that was given up to acquire them. Gibbs was a first-round pick. McCaffrey, of course, was a first-round pick, but also was acquired for four draft picks, you know? Yeah. Like, so these were players who teams uh, not these weren't guys like arian foster who were undrafted and became difference makers and were the impetus for the running backs don't matter these are players who teams identified prior to acquiring them as a difference making player and they turned out to be difference making players so um, i'm starting to hope that like maybe this style of offense lends back into because look because ultimately we're fantasy guys right and we're about to head into a season in 2020, and I know we have we want to talk wide receivers. Maybe we can use this as a pivot. Yeah. How many running backs right now? Let try to put 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 your thinking cap on for for August. Uh, understanding we've still got the draft and free agency. You know, Saquon Barkley's out there. Where's he going to sign? Well, how many running backs right now are you confident saying are first round picks for fantasy next year? So we did this show with with Pat Fitzmaurice last week. So yeah. at the moment, at this very moment in time. There are maybe two. McCaffrey. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, I think you're looking at McCaffrey and I think you're looking at, at possibly, well, so I don't think Bijan, but I think Bijan was going to get, he's going to get the hype to catapult. Because of the new coaching. Brees Hall. Brees Hall um, is, is, is going to be around there, but I think because of, yeah, Rogers. I think he's going to hover in the second. I don't think he's going to go. The one I think that will sneak into the back end of the first is is one you've mentioned, Jameer Gibbs. Okay, Jameer Gibbs. So I'm looking at you know underdog ADP vis-a-vis -vis, uh, our guy Graham Barfield's rankings. Yeah, he has Kyron Williams, 
Um, but yeah, like I, I, uh, I, I use this term on uh, on uh, the Fantasy Feast podcast with Ross uh, this week. Uh, Sean McVay is a running back geyser, like a womanizer. Like, yeah. you know, the man, the man, like he can pull some tail, but he runs through them, right? Like, like that's what he does with running backs. And, and he commits not- to one and he goes for it. The I- problem that you have is he never falls in love with one. He's exactly. Very that's change. exactly it. That's my concern with Kyron. And Kyron was freaking awesome this year. Like, oh. you I owe Kyron some money this year. You know, he was my, he was my guy, you know, picking him up off the waiver. Uh, Graham Barfield was awesome for me. Like he started pounding like August 20th, just like doing group chat. He's like, man, I really like Kyron Williams at cost. I really like Kyron Williams at cost. And I'm like, you know what? You're right, Graham. I'm just going to start drafting him. And you know, he, he was a, a very popular player for me on my, on my best ball teams that advanced. But again, is the history with Sean McVay. And and McVay is a very interesting history because if 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 you're to tell me Sean McVay is committing to Kyron Williams as his RB1 this year, I'm taking him two overall. Yeah, old I'm taking him top 5. Easy. Right, but like is is Kyron Williams, you know, going to be that guy? Are they going to they always end up drafting a guy they and you're like, oh, the guy here we the go second again. round." Yeah. 100%. Here we go again, you know, like so um but again, I, I mean, I really believe this is going to be a wide receiver heavy first round. And 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 now there's not even the Kelsey factor, right? No. Because Kelsey's not going to, we don't, I don't even think he's my tight end one next year. No, I, I think it's going to be an interesting debate. I think you have to see who, where the Chiefs go in the draft and who they might acquire. That might change things. If they don't do too much to that offense, then you can make the case for him. But yeah, I think. The way I, I, I envision this offseason out playing is I think best ball season, you're going to see very little running back activity in the first round. I think you're going to stick with two. I think as the season goes through, people will get scared. People will go to that scarcity argument. There's only five or six game changers. Yep. We're going to go in. I'm going to go and draft Taylor in that offense now. I'm going to go. Saquon might land somewhere and people will fall in love all over again with Saquon. Um, you know, we talked about Priest Hall and there'll be all this hype about the Jets and people will fall in love and take him high. Nick Chubb could get released from Cleveland and go somewhere. You know, these yeah. are all sorts of things. I think that scarcity argument of so few game changers will push four, maybe five back into the first round in August. But I don't think you're going to see it straight away. I think it's, it's literally going to be a long scathing, especially for the more casual players who would drive that ADP differently. Um, Bijan hype's coming. You know it's coming. I love, I, I love the player. I love the player. Um, so I, I can't I can't knock that too much. Like I, you know, defensive minded head coach. Let's run the rock. You know, but, but Tyler Algier's still a pretty good player. You know what are what are they gonna what are they gonna lean into there? Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating, but um. These um these receivers, I mean, it's going to be a pretty fascinating group of guys, right? I mean, Tyreek's getting close to 30. Um, JJ's coming off a season where he had injuries, but he's great anyway. CeeDee Lamb was fantastic, but, um, you know, the, Dak Prescott's another year older, Mike McCarthy. I don't know, man, I, but I, I just feel like it's harder to argue against the wide receivers than it is the running backs this year. A hundred percent. So, like, I wrote some categories out based on last year, and I think I think you're right. I think from an overarching strategy 
and Pat said the same thing last week. If you're going for a build, you're going to feel more confident in your wide receivers early because you know you can get a sprinkling of a good one late. There's so many good late options that you can lean into and pick up. What I will say is this year, if you drafted a wide receiver in the first round, if they, if they if his name wasn't Tyreek Hill, he let you down. Justin Jefferson, not his fault, got injured. Jamar Chase missed a injured. couple of games, but that didn't really pan out all that well either. Um, you know, we got a few others that you just yeah, like. There was the fringy first rounders though that worked out, right? The CD yeah. Lane. Uh, AJ Brown. Um, AJ Brown obviously was better in the first half of the year because the Eagles were better in the first half of the year. I'm on Ross St. Brown. I, I mean, dude, I gotta be honest. Um, do you do y'all say dude in in yeah, in, sort of. Yeah, okay. It's you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Um is it like could you make the argument that like the highest floor player? In all of fantasy football in 2024, is Amon Ross St. Brown? Uh, like, yeah, I, 100%. could you just be like at five? You know what? I'm not going to get cute with Jamar Chase and you know Burrow coming off. I'm just going to take Amon Ross because he caught seven passes in every damn game. So yeah, I'll ride with that. And it's not like he doesn't have upside either, right? So 100%. I don't know. It, it feels like he's like the safest first round pick. Easy. Yeah, we yeah, crown that like, now. That is not changing for the rest of the offseason. I don't I think, think he's he's got the like the old Antonio Brown like the chance that not only you know he's going to catch six passes in every game, but there's the the chance that one of those games he's going to go nine for two twenty and two touchdowns. I don't know if hmm. he's got that because I don't know if he's that explosive. But man, like as a guy in the middle of the first round, like if if Amon Ra is my most drafted player in fantasy, I don't think I'm gonna I don't I don't think I'm gonna be too upset about that. Not that you know. It, it, I, I just feels like he's a guy you can make an argument for at any stage of the first round. Yeah, I I I, I like him at three. I like him at three. I like him at four. Anywhere onwards, I think for me, you're looking at maybe Christian McCaffrey, and we know Justin Jefferson special. Outside yeah. of those two, I could make a case for him anywhere else easily because of that mm-hmm. flaw. Because of the fact you know it's going, the fact he's durable. You know he barely missed any time. You know, yeah. he bounces back quickly. He's young. He's in an exciting offense that we know can support the play. Yeah, I, I'm in. Like, I'm in on Amarase Brown so much. Um, I think, yeah, he absolutely crushed it last year. Um, he absolutely can crush again. I mean, finished as wide receiver three behind Lamb. And Lamb was a bit up and down. And Tyreek was, was great. But Tyreek as well had off games. You know, he had games that he would cost yeah. you. I'm a Ross St. Brown, consistently model. Every week he shot the lights out for you. Like, and that's, there's there's a lot to be had in the first round. You know, you can go for a big play that could work out really nicely for you. But it could also backfire. And like, I just don't see any any downside for him. And I think that's a big one. But I think that, that group of those who drafted highly that worked out, yeah, AJ Brown did work out. He had some good games down the stretch, but yeah, it was a bit rough for a while. You know, I think I think the Eagle offense is more to blame for that. You know, that, 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 like they just that, that it was the Eagle offense was just like we're gonna do what we do, and it was good enough last year because we have so much talent. And like I, I sometimes I just don't understand why coaches are like 
I don't know, man. Like the 49ers have a lot of talent and Shanahan's putting 14 guys in motion on every play. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like uh, I actually think AJ Brown and, 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 and Devonte Smith should both get be getting drafted highly again this year, because I think Kellen Moore is, is going to be an improvement for that offense for the Eagles. So yeah, AJ Brown was, was certainly a guy who, who had a, a, a quality season and, and, um, and it was, uh, of course, he got hurt at the end of it um, with freaking Philly playing their starters on that awful New York turf, and you know, yeah. what a terrible end of the season for them. But uh, they have to, they just got to flush it and move forward. Yeah, they do. But it, at that same point, I think you're right. I think you've got to look at it. They got new offensive coordinators, and now it's going to be different um, in Philly. And I think you can go back to trust them. I think the, those that performed well last year that were drafted highly will be there and thereabouts again. The two that I think are the most interesting that went high, that didn't really shoot the lights out. They did okay, but not brilliantly. Jamar Chase, he was going wide receiver two in drafts. He ended up as wide receiver 10. Devontae Adams was wide receiver eight in drafts. He finished wide receiver 13. What do we think about these guys with Adams getting a bit older? There's talk he might go to the Jets, which I would hate. Um, I would hate it for Garrett Wilson, yeah. Um, well, but- I just... I. Who goes to New York and is successful? Who? Uh, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> when was the last time? When was the last time? Brees Hall is probably it. Um, um well, Santonio Holmes? Does he count? Right. Uh, Plexico Burris? I mean, right. there's just not many players. Uh, that Plexico go there. was actually decent for both New York teams. Um, yeah, it was. yeah. Santonio no, San Holmes with the Jets was like the quintessential fantasy wide receiver three. Man, he did not play for the Jets for as long as I thought. Like, no, I, was like I, what two years? Yeah, it was. It well, it was four years, but oh wow, he basically was hurt for yeah. the last two. Um, he was a good player, and then just he he basically just fell off a cliff. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like, well, Devontae, like, I, Murph, I don't know if we can even answer this question. And this is why, like, some people love playing best ball right now. You're like, they feel like, hey, I can get an edge by fading Devontae Adams, or I can get an edge by drafting Devontae Adams because nobody knows what's going to happen with him. Um, yeah. Who's the Raiders quarterback going to be? You know, like, do you want to see Aiden O'Connell out there? Because I don't. Like, no. he was fine. He was fine. Was he? Yay. <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, like, hey, he got the ball to Devontae a couple of times. Like, I'll give him that. There was that, there was that uh that like kind of league winning performance that Devontae put up. Was that week 17 or was that week 16? Uh, where uh, it was right. it was uh week 17 where he caught the 13 passes, he had 21 yeah, targets, and then after, of course, he eliminated people the week before by catching just one pass. But um Yeah, it was week 17. Yeah, because he caught one pass for left for minus well, one, 16, uh, for, yeah, yeah, for four yards. <laughs> But then he won you a championship if you survived. Um, yeah, no, I had him in week seventeen. Uh, like, yeah, Devontae's Devontae's an interesting one. Like, you know, the Raiders were like, then this becomes an NFL draft conversation, right? Because like, we're going to get uh, not all these guys are going to go in the first round, but we're going to get first round buzz Murph on six quarterbacks. Yeah. And we're already seeing our guy, Brett Whitefield. I don't know if you saw this. Um, I don't like first and foremost, Brett has very well reasoned takes, um, but I think he just wanted to plant his flag on how high he is on JJ McCarthy from Michigan. And he actually put him at number one in his mock draft. He's the only guy in the industry who's done that. Um, Now he will, it'll be his point to tell you 
that a number one, it's not what he thinks will happen. It's what he would do. But he also will be the first to tell you he was as high on Anthony Richardson early in the process as anybody last year. Um, and Anthony Richardson ends up being a top five pick, but where are these quarterbacks going to go? And is one of them going to fall to a team like the Raiders or the Vikings? You know, these teams that are drafting in the middle of the first round. Um, well, I'm going to put, is, I'm is gonna somebody put like Michael Penix even going to be an upgrade for one of these teams, you know? Well, I, I really like Michael Penix. So actually, mm-hmm. I think my I think he is. I actually think Michael Penix is, is highly underrated. I just love players that come out of Washington. The way that they character, the way that they're built, the leadership aspects. The inta- the untangibles, the ones, the things you can't measure, are the things those Washington players have in spades. I've seen it at the Buccaneers. They take a lot of Washington players. Vita Vea, for example, those guys just carry themselves, and they always perform to their expectations and beyond that. So I actually think Michael Penix Jr. When you sit and watch the tape, and then you add those intangibles that you can't measure, I actually have him in my in this class. I actually have him at three. Um, and I have JJ right there with him. Like for me, I'm just not in on Jaden Daniels, but this isn't a draft podcast. I'm going to put an alternate theory to you about the Raiders. Yeah. Wouldn't the most Raiders thing of all time be that they will trade for Russell Wilson? Oh my God. Uh, Why would they do that? Oh, because it's oh. the Raiders. It's exactly oh, what this is like from yeah. the Raiders playbook. Let's get. <laughs> Let's get Mr. Unlimited. Let's do yeah. it. Oh, Let Russ yeah. cook. Oh my God. No, that would be terrible. I'd rather they stick with O'Connell. Um, <laughs> but like, no, look, look, there's gonna be some quarterbacks out there. Um, you know, we just had some news come down the pike uh when when we were when we were recording Murph um about the quarterback position. Um Seattle is keeping Geno Smith on their roster um to to get that that 13 million dollar guarantee that 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 would be guaranteed you know for like injury and what have you yeah. um which essentially means they're not cutting him yeah it doesn't mean like Adam Schefter was very careful to say in his follow up tweet it means they could trade Gino maybe maybe Seattle's a panic spot because they pick in the middle of the first round and I of like course that. Ryan Grubb is their offensive coordinator now, and he was the offensive coordinator for Penix at Washington last yeah, year. I love that. I so, think that'd like, be an unbelievable landing spot. So maybe that that ends up being your they keep Geno around, you know, sit Penix, and maybe teams are going to be more receptive to sitting guys on the bench now for a year after what we've seen from Jordan Love, and you know, obviously what happened with Patrick Mahomes. You know, people yeah. at this point tend to forget that he sat for a year. Um, you know, maybe teams will be more receptive to draft a guy like a Penix and and say, um, "All right, we don't think he's a hundred percent ready yet, but um, we'll 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 let him marinate for a little bit and see what happens with him." So it's going to be really interesting with some of the veteran quarterbacks. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is a free agent. Ryan Tannehill um, and Ryan Tannehill is being tied to the Steelers, of course, because they hired Farty Artie um, as their <laughs> offensive coordinator. Um, yeah. Uh, Justin Fields, what's going to happen with Justin Fields? There's going to be so much quarterback movement. It, it seems like I say this every offseason, but th- yeah. this might actually be the most interesting quarterback offseason of all time. It will you be. Have, like, you've got six guys, six, who are in the talk to be first-round picks. Obviously, you got Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, and J.J. McCarthy. All right, Bo Nix is not going to be a first-round pick. Um, I'm I not thought, having it. I thought Bo Nix was terrible at the Senior Bowl. Now, I will say this. I was only there Tuesday, Wednesday for Bo Nix's practice. 
Brett Whitefield, Scott Barrett, they told me he was much better on Thursday, so I can only speak to what I saw. I thought Penix threw the ball of uh, of those quarterbacks. I thought he threw it the best on Tuesday, but he did not throw it well on Wednesday. So um, it was a really interesting dynamic at the Senior Bowl, but there's, there's going to be six guys who you're going to see mocked, and maybe four of them go in the first round. Um, but look, six guys who might end up a day one or two pick, maybe even another quarterback or two going on day two. You got Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, free agents. You know, you've got um, you've got Justin Fields, who's ostensibly going to be on the trade market. But look at all this movement that, that we Wilson. have. To, Russell Wilson, who knows what happens with him? You know, um, uh, Gino, Gino, we just talked about Gino. Could there is a very real chance that the Seahawks could trade Gino? Uh, what's going to happen with the Steelers? Like, it, would I feel good about Kenny Pickett there? No, I, I thought nah, he was terrible that, this past year. Yeah, so, somebody at 100%. Uh, it's going to be a situation, but I think he's going to resign. Yeah, I think Baker, I think Baker's earned his, uh, I think he's Gino's earned, earned the starting job. Yeah. Um, Gino, like, G- Gino is good. Gino's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league. Like, that's, yeah, like that, like, that's. That's that. I mean, considering but, who we've had out there this season, you know, I still think yeah. New York is a really interesting. Like they, um, I think both the Jets and also the Giants are interesting. Right? What, what are the Giants going to do at quarterback? You know, they were terrible this year. Um, so uh, there's so much that that movement that can happen here with some of these teams that it's really hard to get a grasp right now. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting dynamic, and then that's going to permeate all the way through. I think people are expecting like six, seven wide receivers to go in the first round. I'm just not so sure because of that quarterback fallout. I think when you take the tackles in, when you take in some of the defensive backs that are going to go, I think you're going to look at this and think there might only be three, maybe four wide receivers to go round one. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to have the obvious ones who um, there's going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors. Um, and then, of course, Roma Dunze, who's a little older prospect. Um, um, you know, B- Brett Whitefield is very interested in in neighbors because he feels like neighbors got a lot of free releases in college and that makes him a tougher evaluation. Um, mm. But it seems like there's some there's some who have him graded as high as Harrison. So we'll see nice. what, what happens, what happens in that regard. But uh, yeah, this is this is going to be a great NFL draft. The running back position for the draft is I think it's. I think it's got some guys though, day two, late day two, and day three who have some who have some juice to them depending on what landing spots they they have. But Fuck then, the let's go. <laughs> yeah, like uh, we got um th- this kid, this, this white kid from New Hampshire was like lit up the Senior Bowl lobby, really? Dylan Lobby. Um, he was he if he tests well, I think he's going to be interesting because they were actually running him with the receivers. Uh, at um, on day two of, of senior bowl practices, which I think is going to be absolutely fascinating to see what teams do with him. Um, but then, you know, let's look at given, like, like you said, it's not a great um, class for um, running backs to be drafted. Look at some of the free agents at running back Murph, Derek Henry, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, who had a terrible season, obviously. Uh, yeah, and, I can't see much interest coming in. For uh, Devin Singletary um, is a free agent. He had a nice year. DeAndre Swift had a thousand yard rushing season. He's a free agent. Um, like uh, Antonio Gibson's a free. It's a really good running back class in free agency. So does a team try to like thread the needle with like a big money one or two year deal for a Saquon 
or or Josh Jacobs and draft a guy. It's going to be really interesting to see that position shake out. I'm going to throw another name out there who isn't a free agent, but who I would expect to end up as a free agent, and that is Nick Chubb. Nick mm. Chubb has got 19, 18, 19 million against his name next year on the cap. They can cut him for four million. He's had what two career season-ending injuries, maybe three. Oh, he's or uh, season-ending injury. Yeah, thing though, man. He's a guy that they brought out to fire up the crowd when they're looking to make the playoffs. So that would be interesting because he he's beloved there with, with the Browns fans. He is, but he's twenty eight. Um, you know, he's not had. He's been great, but he's not been absolutely elite. If you think about his numbers in playing, he's only played in his four. What are we looking at? Uh, career. He has played a total of 77 games in six years. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I would contest that he's elite when he's been on the field, but I guess your contention is that he hasn't always been on the field. No, I mean, he has 4,000-yard rushing mm-hmm. seasons, which is good. Um, you know, one at 1494, and then 2022 is at 1525. But, you know, he has got good numbers and good production. Not amazing in the receiving game. Not terrible, mm. but it's not not incredible. You know, a 1,000 yards career receiving over six seasons isn't all that much. It's I think for me, it's just a case of he, he is an excellent player, but 18, 19 million? That's a lot of mm. money for what we've just seen in the Super Bowl. That, yeah. <laughs> that position doesn't, doesn't work. It's not worth paying. Unless you have that, even Christian McCaffrey, you paid all that money to. Yeah, he fumbled, yeah. He's Which, ha- you know, that happens, that happens. Of course though, it yeah. happens, but at the end of the day, it still yeah. didn't make you the difference in the Super Bowl. It still didn't yeah. get you over the line. And it's very hard. We talk about paying quarterbacks, paying them that elite money, unless yeah. they are elite. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes has done that, and credit to him, because he did something that very few players can do, take a significant cap hit and get a team over the line. That's why he's special. That's why you pay him the money. Running backs is even less so. When was the last time a running back got eight million a year and got a team over the line in the Super Bowl? I can't think of one. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's also because well, it's also because the number, the money is now down on those guys. So yeah, yeah and now I course. understand. I understand. It's like, it's just, like you know, maybe the guys like Jameer Gibbs, if that that kind of player keeps, you know showing up maybe that changes the uh maybe that changes the the equation at some point you know yeah it might do and i'm not definitely saying that nick chubb gets cut but that is one i'm watching as a situation because he's 28 Mm -hmm. he's got a year left on his deal it's 19 million they can cut him for four um you know they did pretty well without him yeah. Jerome Ford did a good job. Cream Hunt. I'm not saying Cream Hunt's the answer, but I'm saying well, they, they, well, I will say this though: they couldn't run the football. Like that's why Joe Flacco was dropping back 50 times a game, man. Like because they couldn't run it. And and look, the offensive line was certainly part of that because they had so many injuries on that line. Yeah. But uh, but that was certainly part of it. It was, but I still think when they were healthy early yeah. on in the season, Jerome Ford did a great job. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what happens. I think that's one I would I would watch out for. Going back to the wide receivers, because this is a class. Well, this is at the moment, we're so deep at the position that there are so many players that you can pick up that will elevate above cost. So last season we had Mike Evans, wide receiver 29, who finished at wide receiver four. Puka yeah. Nakua, who was drafted at wide receiver 51, if he was even drafted. He finished as the uh, 
wide receiver six. Um, DJ Moore, wide receiver 22, finishes the wide receiver seven. Um, like, with these guys, and the fact there's so many others we haven't talked about, Rashi Rice wasn't really drafted heavily high, and he produced a great season. Jaden Reed, um, Zay Flowers, these are young guys we talked about. Because the fact this this landscape is so stacked, and because it's so scarce at running back, can you see a universe where a hero RB quarterback pairing in two of the first three rounds with a wide receiver is a good way to go? Or because of the predictability of the position, you're better off taking two wide receivers or three wide receivers in the opening round. Now, with the exception of Allen and Hurts, it wasn't a great hero. It wasn't a great early round quarterback year either. You know, no. Holmes great for fantasy uh, at all um and of course like you know like you always have to say for fantasy because yeah you know you don't want to get the gods to spite you down uh you know burrow got hurt justin herbert got hurt and wasn't great um you know maybe maybe it's it let me see what people are doing come this spring you know especially after the draft because if people are going to talk themselves into, well, there's so many great wide receivers that I'm just going to bump up some running backs and blah, 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 and quarterbacks. And then what if I just lean into it and say, all right, fine. All right. you, I'll take Amon Ross St. Brown, AJ Brown, um, and, and Rasheed Rice, and that's how I'm going to start my draft. Yay. Thank you. Like, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just yeah. lean into it even more. Like, if people are like, hey, there's going to be great wide receivers later. So I'm going to, uh, I said, no, nah, give me the really great ones that I know are great. And I'll take them to start my draft. That, that could be a viable strategy. Just lean all the way into it this year because of, because of that. And, and that gives you more flexibility to go find a Kyron Williams on the waiver wire or Devin Singletary on the waiver wire uh, gives you, you just got to like, look, I had a team this year. I, I won my championship and more if I know we're running out of time here. So no, we're good. Uh, Unfortunately, I uh, I talk too long. No, we're good. I always leave extra time for this. I had a, I had a team this year. I won this league for the first time in 15 years. It's my longest running league. It's a 14 teamer. I had two keepers. My keepers were Tyree Kill and Jamar Chase. I did not draft my first running back until the ninth round. My first running back drafted was Zach Charbonnet, who yeah. I used maybe once all season, but. I drafted Kyron Williams. I drafted Alvin Kamara and sat him on the bench. I drafted Jalen Warren and I drafted Devon Achan. So all of a sudden I'm just sitting here and I had the most ideal, like, let me tell you something. When you hit on that strategy, you feel unstoppable. Yeah. And there's luck that goes into it, but hitting on that zero RB, I, I still think that's the way to go, man. And I had Lamar Jackson. So I had a great fantasy quarterback. I'm with you on that. I think it's I, I never used to play like that. I used to load up on the on the running back class because of the fact it was so difficult to to get um a a viable RB. But I I did that in a few leagues um where I went wide receiver heavy and quarterback heavy in Superflex and then went back and actually picked up running backs late and actually this league the champion of champions where i got this belt right here which i keep next to me as a reminder because it's nice and sweet and it's shiny and it keeps me uh distracted slash focused all day um you know i ended up with um i did take etm but then i waited and then picked up rashad white because he was a late round value and then 
I pretty much everyone else I ran off the waiver wire, Brian Robinson, Gus Edwards. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, like you hit on that strategy. It's just the best, especially if if wide receivers are going to dominate again. So um, I don't know. I still think that's going to be my strategy this year, but let's see what the running backs look like in in the uh, early in the early going. I think, yeah, I think there's so much movement to happen, but I I think, do you know what I'm the way I'm going to play leagues this year is I'm going to actually play all the different strategies, which you should try and do. But I think, I absolutely love the leaning into the wide receivers, picking up three studs to start your draft. I love stacking with, if you can get two RBs, if there's a fade, if you can get like on the one, two turn, imagine getting on the one, two turn, getting like Brees Hall and uh, either Bijan or um, yeah, or Jamal yeah. Gibbs or something like that to pair up as a start, like that could be fun. That's what's going to be funny about this year for me with that team that I just said I, 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 you know, started my team with. I essentially started my team with Jamar Chase, um, Tyreek Hill, and Debo Samuel. That was the yeah, start lovely. for my team. Um, but the irony is because I drafted Kyron Williams and Devon Achan late and you get, so you only get to keep your guys. This is the keeper rules in this league. You get to keep a guy for two years maximum. The first year you keep them, it's the round you drafted them in. The oh, second lovely. year, it's a first round pick. So Ooh. you can't like, you can't like, but so I'm going to throw back Tyreek and Jamar Chase and I'm just going to keep Kyron and Devon Achan because I drafted them in like the 15th round. So I'm, so I'm going to essentially be zero RB but I'm going to start my team with two guys who are going to be early round picks. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that team turns out this year. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a nice way to go. I think that's a really – that's I, I don't play too many keeper leagues. I think I only played yeah. one. They, they're because... kind of – well, no, I don't want to say they're out of vogue because Dynasty is so big because mm. keeper questions are always the most interesting questions to me when people ask fantasy questions because it gives you the opportunity to weigh – um, way risk and whatnot. It's always, always interesting. Um, with that, I actually, I actually think round keeper questions are the hardest keeper questions. I think, I actually think auction keeper questions are much easier for me because yeah. with an auction, you can almost always take the value, understanding you get the money back that you can then spend on the guy you threw back. So, um, I actually think round keeper questions are because because you have a finite resource in terms of the draft picks. I think that actually becomes more interesting. Yeah, and I like the fact that you can only keep them two years, and in the second year, it's a, it's a one, uh, it's a one pick. Yeah. So and and, and there are times when you're like, you know what? I'm not even going to mess around with it. I have Tyreek Hill and the 13th pick in the draft. I'm going to keep Tyreek because I know he wasn't going to make that. You know, I have that decision this year, but I don't think I'm going to make that decision. I think no, I'm gonna I think keep when you've the got the RBs yeah. you have, I think you've got to yeah. you got to make that decision. I love it, especially if most dirt doesn't stick around. Yeah, and of course, poor Raheem. You know, he he's the like what the RB three in fantasy, and then yeah. his yearly injury comes in week seventeen. Like, yeah. like unbelievable. <laughs> As is always the way. I want to get a thought for you just before I let you go on Empire yeah. League. You play in Empire League because I, I was reading an article by a um, few folks in the fantasy industry this year, and that looks like a really fun format. It's not a format I've ever played in. I've never even. I can't even tell you I've even heard of them. Um, okay. What? So g- give it to me. An Empire League is effectively a dynasty league where you withhold half the money. So you say you pay yearly due. Half the money mm-hmm. goes into uh, paying out the winner for that year. The other half goes into an Empire pot. The dynasty league ends when the person goes back to back. And they take the Empire Oh, that's pot. actually kind of badass. Yeah. 
That, that is so. Oh, okay. I, yeah. So it also it it discourages tanking in a way, right? It completely discourages tanking because, because, like, if you tear it all down and you and then the guy wins, sec- yeah. Oh no, I like that a lot. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, oh Scott Barrett would hate that because <laughs> Scott tears his fantasy his dynasty teams down from the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> which which works for him, by the way. Um, I'm the opposite. I'm like, well, somebody's got to win in the first year. Um, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I'm so I'm hyper aggressive. I like like to go in trade future picks. I don't care. I just want to win. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really interesting strategy. Yeah. Oh, oh, I like that. I've not I've never heard of that. Now I do I do play in dynasty leagues where you basically pay three years of dues just to keep you engaged. But like, no, not like that where there's a where there's a um a, a, an add on. That's fantastic. All right, you and I talk offline about this. I think we got to we got to sort one out. I, I think that's a great plan. Right. I love it. Okay. Um, right. Anything else? So this wide receiver, is there any more thoughts? It's so hard, I guess, with the wide receivers because there are so many. I, I actually I have one last question. Yeah. Stefan Diggs. What are you doing with Stefan Diggs in 20? I think I'm out of this. I think I'm out of the Stefan Diggs business. Completely out. You've gone. Uh, there was another, there's another player who um, I'm out on, I'm out of the George Kittle business. I'm not in it anymore. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in it this year and I, I'm out of the George Kittle business. I think I'm out of the Stefan Diggs business right now. I'll let somebody else draft. Him. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I was looking through and I was trying to find a good pivot point. Why receive a 55 second half of the season, second half of the season. I, I don't know. So week 10. Only. I mean, he might end up getting better because they need to get a better number two. Gabe Davis is like the quintessential number three receiver. <laughs> like, like the quintessential number three, throw it down the field. And, you know, some weeks he's going to catch you four for a hundred. And some weeks uh, we, I mean, we literally saw this other weeks. He's going to yeah. goose egg yet. Like, I mean, that's kind of what he is at this point. Yeah. Rashid Shahid all over again. Just that those two guys should just be in yeah. their own little track. They should have their own little like, di- like draft pocket. Just the two of them. No kidding. And they have to go back to back. So if one yeah. takes one, so the next person's going to take the other. Now, I think that's a t- I Yeah. It, I think it's a tough one with Diggs because he was so bad because that offense got better through the season and he just didn't. Mm-hmm. That's the worrying side. Like, I think when you look at Chase, you can make the argument things didn't go right. The offense wasn't really clicking towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Things have got a bit stale, a lot of injuries to that offensive line. Yeah, I can make a case to where I can get back into the Jamar Chase business at the right price. I can't do that with, with Diggs because that offense got better and it just didn't didn't work yeah. um actually i have another list of guys i want to read out because i don't think you're going to be in on too many of these guys based on their seasons this year but i'm curious if there is anyone that jumps out that could be a value at a decent price jacoby myers tyler lockett depending on where he lands Cortland sutton terry mclaren or deontay johnson um i'll always be willing to draft deontay um, depending on where his ADP lands, because people hate him. Um, and uh, honestly, he, he had a pretty good season this year. Um, and I think they're going to get better at quarterback. Um, uh, of course, they have Farty Artie, but you know, I, I actually think Arthur Smith's a decent play designer. I just think he outsmarts himself with personnel usage. Um, so I think Deontay is a guy you could you could definitely convince me to be in on this year. McLaren, is there a receiver? in the NFL, who is so clearly a great receiver, who has, like, never been a fantasy difference maker like McLaren? 
I'd say Jerry Judy, but I don't think Jerry be... Judy's great. Oh, uh, Murph, Murph, uh, Murph, I need you. The, I, I'm dead serious. I want you to do something for me. Go and on. you've probably seen it on my Twitter feed. I want you to print out Jerry Judy statistics and print out Nelson Aguilar statistics and tell me the difference. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm yeah, but, serious. But I, I get that if we're looking at box scores, but I think Jerry Judy is a player who has been underutilized, underused, and yeah. badly coached. I, I look at what he did. I think he's look, one of the best route runners that is just absolutely played badly. But I got to be honest with you, man. Like, But look at Terry McLaurin. And, and te- I don't even think the biggest Judy fan in the world could say he's better than Terry McLaurin. But look at McLaurin. He's got four straight 1,000-yard seasons. But he's got 25 touchdowns in five NFL years. And the most were seven when he was a rookie. Wow. So like the last few years, you know, 14 touchdowns in he's missed one game over that span. So in the last four years, he's played 66 games and has scored 14 touchdowns. Like he's a thousand yard receiver who doesn't make a difference for fantasy. It's like the wildest. He's like like mini Julio Jones. Oh, and by the way, this might surprise you. He's entering his age 29 season. Well, I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. Play him oh. when he goes against the Eagles, though. I can tell you that much. <laughs> He's an Eagles killer. Kills him. Oh, you've just taken me right out on on Terry McLaurin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of on the fringe. Well, they have a new they I, they um they obviously have the new coaching staff um in Washington, but we'll, we'll, you know Cliff Kingsbury, EA. I mean, <laughs> sideways pass, sideways pass, yeah. sideways pass. Oh yeah, yeah. Cliff Kingsbury, and by the way, they hired Brian Johnson, the Eagles former offensive yeah, coordinator. Did. As their senior, like offensive assistant. I mean, Terry McLaurin might not take a step downfield on a route all season long. It's going to be wild. <laughs> he's going to play. He's going to play like that. But in BPR, he might go for like ten for sixty every week. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, like, but it's going to be on screen passes. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be like a really awful Cooper Cup. Oh God. Oh. Oh, well, I, I hate wide receiver screens, man. And, and I hope yeah. uh, people in Washington are prepared to watch them. Because that's all you're going to see this year. Enjoy. Buckle up. Buckle up, Commander's Hands. Oh, look, this has been a treat, an absolute delight. I've kept you far too long. Um, Joe, tell uh, everyone in Rush Nation where they can find you, interact with you, where they can find your content, yeah. your podcast with Drake, and everything else. Well, you, Fantasy Points Podcast. Just search it up on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find me at fantasypoints.com. You can hit me on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. Um, and and uh, come subscribe and, and, and get in our subscriber Discord, and uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a blast. It'll be fun to have people in there this year. A lot of good things happening with the data suite and the company. We had a really good year, and uh, big things are planned for this season. Yeah, going from strength to strength. Fantasy Points has the best data in the industry, bar none. Whenever I write articles, I cite Fantasy Points a lot, and I'm grateful for all the work that Joe and the amazing guys do over there. A lot of love for everyone over there. Um, so do subscribe, do follow Joe. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the best data you'll find in fantasy football anywhere in the universe. And I'm not just saying that because Joe's here, but if you've read any of my Appreciate articles that. over the last 18 months, it's always according to fantasy points data. It's, <laughs> it's a kind of a one trick pony now. I don't need to subscribe to anything else. So, um, Joe, as always, it's a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Rush Nation, thank you so much for listening. Uh, next week, we're going to talk quarterbacks uh, and we'll catch up on any other sort of news that drops. This is the kind of 
no news time for the next three weeks. So there's not going to be too much movement on coaches or players. Instead, it's going to be more just about prepping for the draft, which we'll start doing. But we're going to review those quarterbacks. And as Joe said, it's an exciting time looking ahead with that. So we'll tune into that one next week. But until then, Rush Nation, don't forget, as always, keep rushing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.